0: Thank you to our musicians. Welcome everyone to this first chapel of the new year and uh, our intercession chapel. It's a unique time where some of you are together for a very intense period uh, in your classes and then you'll be dispersing again. We want to make this a special service for you and uh, continue in the spirit of the last few weeks. We've celebrated Advent. We've had some wonderful chapels here at Tyndale. We've moved into the Christmas season, and like my family likes to sing the 12 days of Christmas, uh, we're still in that season. There's lots to celebrate. In today's chapel, I want to stick with that trajectory of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, and we'll be reading a part of the larger Christmas story from Luke, or sorry, from Matthew chapter 2. I think that'll be projected or you can read it uh, together with me from uh, your own Bibles. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, "'Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews?' "'For we have observed his star at its rising,' and have come to pay him homage. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And then, calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they they had heard the king, they set out, And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering this house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. And they knelt down and paid him homage. Then... Opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you have a good Christmas? Or were you preparing for your courses? One of my favorite Christmas memories, and we continue to do this every year, as I suggested, we gather as an extended family in St. Catharines, all my nieces and nephews, siblings, with my mother who is still living. We read Luke's Christmas story, not the Matthew story, together. Usually the kids read it out loud. And then we gather around the piano. And my wife is a pianist and she puts together a booklet for everyone of of Christmas songs and then we sing and we have a lot of fun doing that and um, it's usually the songs of faith first and then we move into some more uh, to more fun songs. Uh, We transition from go tell it on the mountain to this 12 days of Christmas and everyone has a part. Saturday is the 12th day of Christmas and uh, in some of our traditions, we call that uh, the Feast of Epiphany. And it brings to a conclusion, a climax actually, of the whole Advent Christmas season. Epiphany, for those of you who have done some Greek already, means to show, to manifest, appear, shine forth, make known or reveal. As John writes in his Gospel, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, the true light that gives light to everyone, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then First John, this life appeared and we have seen it. Or Paul writes to Timothy, fear not, don't be timid. God's grace has, sh- has been uh, revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has utterly destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, all of this good news of the Incarnation is announced first in a nice condensed way uh, by Matthew and his telling of the visit of the Magi. Now, who these Magi actually were, we're not quite sure. This is a nod to Jim Beverly's world religions class at his meeting. Zoroastrian, I can't even say it, priests? I'll let you figure that out. But with the visit of the wise men or magi, we have here the first non-Jews to acknowledge and to worship this child Jesus as King of Kings. And then they go forth, not quite the way that Herod wanted them to go, and they presumably told the story. Go tell it on the mountain. A nod to our preaching cohort for the Doctor of Ministry program meeting here. No doubt Matthew has in mind uh, Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The Magi, whoever they actually were, for us, for Matthew, represent all the nations of the earth assembling before God, coming to give homage and their generous gifts. And most of our professors here at Tyndale will actually, if you talk to them, say that's what they love about Tyndale. It's as if all the nations of the earth are here. And together we're doing something like that, giving homage to the King of Kings from all nations of the world. Now, this part in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, corresponds to what he's already doing in chapter 1, when he starts off, for us in a kind of weird way, giving a genealogy. And that genealogy corresponds to chapter 2 because we're told that Jesus is in the line of David, but that's also the line of foreigners that includes Uriah's wife and Ruth. And this is one the, and, and this one, Jesus the Messiah, is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, the first name in that genealogy, uh, that his children will be blessed and be a blessing to all peoples. And so now, chapter 2, and God's own good timing, Kairos, not just Kronos, at the pregnant time, the opportune time, God acted and the prophecy and the promises are fulfilled. The virgin conceives and gives birth to a son whom they called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This last Sunday I preached on the Simeon text in Luke's Gospel, a nod to the Luke class again, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem for consecration. Simeon 2 Reflects some of this spirit. My eyes have now, and he's blind. I don't know if Rainer has the other slide here. Maybe Rayner, could you put up that other picture for me, please? This Rembrandt picture of Simeon, blind old man, sees nothing, but he sees that this child is, um, oh, I got the wrong Rembrandt slide, but some of you may know it from your spiritual formation class in and, and the Nowen book, that Rembrandt picture of, of, of Simeon. Blind old man, but he sees something that he's been waiting his entire life to see. A light f- for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Luke's genealogy is written for Gentiles and it traces the lineage back to Adam the son of God the father of all nations. So it's a little bit different than Matthew's text but isn't it true so many of us when we tell the Christmas story we seem to sort of merge those two stories we patch it together and we put everyone in the stable right the shepherds the wise men Mary and Joseph and well that doesn't happen so this morning, we're just going to separate those texts just a little bit because the wise men, we have no stable here, and it's maybe a year after Jesus' birth. or uh, That's good hermeneutics. Now, um, so with the story of the Magi placed right at the start of chapter 2, Matthew is keen to emphasize for his readers from the beginning that Jesus came through Israel, for all people, for all nations, for all races, and that the redeeming work of God in this world would not just be limited to a few. Now, we know Matthew's gospel. We could trace this line all the way through. Jesus gathers his disciples with the Sermon on the Mount, teaches them, trains them, sends them out, and then finally in chapter 28, the victorious Jesus, crucified but raised from the dead, appears to the disciples on a mountain in Galilee, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's the trajectory right from the, from the Magi in chapter, in chapter 2. Though some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the King of the Kings of Kings. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, marking them by baptism in the threefold name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this to the very consummation of the age. So, the trajectory of Matthew's Gospel. The scope of his call to discipleship is to all nations. And it begins with the Magi, culminates in chapter 28. And it's all a great invitation to you and to me, and that's part of the reason why we're here today at Tyndale working on our programs, um, to join in God's mission, to reveal, to show, to manifest. This is the epiphany theme, that Jesus is Savior of all people. And to go and make and train up disciples of all nations, baptizing them, instructing them to live lives that point to the coming kingdom. Wonderful news. But, don't you hate it? There's always a but. Bruxy Cavey had a whole series on the big buts of the Bible. And here we've got another one. The story includes King Herod. And it's not, it, he typically doesn't get told in the Christmas story that my family reads with the young kids. We don't say much about him, hardly gets mentioned. But Matthew gives Herod a lot of profile. Actually, there's only one verse where he talks about the Magi with the baby Jesus. And in chapter two, he mentions Herod nine times. Whether we like it or not, that's the opening scene. It actually revolves around Herod. And it suggests that Herod is pretty critical for the way we tell the Christmas story. Who was this man? Well, he was a king, a vassal king under Rome, a minor, fragile ruler who had become very anxious, the text tells us, when he heard news that wise men from the east had come to Jerusalem and were looking for the child that already has been born king of the Jews, that is, an alternate king to him. So Herod arranges for the inquiring magi to meet with him, and we are told, in secret. And in a crafty manner, He starts asking questions, and he gleans uh, some information. So when exactly did you see that star? He figures out the timing. And then he goes to his scribes and to the chief priests, and he tells them about this, what's happening, and he asks them where Scripture foretells the birth of the Messiah, which everyone is expecting. And he's told Bethlehem. So these scribes know their Bible and they know how to use it to suit their rulers' desires. Intellectuals and even biblical scholars who interpret scripture can use and misuse that wisdom for those in power. So then Herod tells the Magi where to go. Go to Bethlehem. He tells them again in secret that when you've paid homage to this king of kings, king of the Jews, then come back to tell me about him, and, and then I'll also go and pay homage to him. So, sneaky, self-serving, secret did any of you read the front page of the Star or any other newspaper this morning? Secret meetings, advisors, spies, treason, hardball politics, deception with foreign dignitaries. In a, all, or a new tell-all new book, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House by Michael Wolff, scheduled to be out next week. Boy, I hate that. Matthew is clearer than I want him to be. I don't, want to, I don't want to make these connections. I just want a comfortable Christmas and a great new year. Why do we think, why do I think the birth of Jesus is no threat to earthly thrones and empires? At least not today. Why do we tell the Christmas story in such a tame private, apolitical manner. But for Matthew, this much is certain. God's intervention, his breaking into real, everyday chronos time in the birth of this child, brings with it a real political crisis. Now, Herod is true to form. He's an experienced ruler, and we know the type Those rulers who believe that their power politics, their deception, their spin on the facts, enforced with violence or threat thereof, will steer the direction and the outcome of history. Now the wise men take Herod's advice, and they continue their journey and follow the star in the heavens. They find the place where Jesus and Mary are housed. They are filled with joy, and they worship him. What do they see in this child? We're not given all the details, but those symbols, those gifts that they bring along tell us a few things gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold was given appropriately in homage to kings, representing perhaps Christ's kingship. Frankincense is an incense that was used in worship in ancient times as a symbol of divinity and myrrh used in embalming and found in Yemen symbolizes perhaps Christ's suffering that is to come. And Matthew's thinking about all of these things. So after we've said all of this about Herod, think now about the crucifixion scene in Matthew 27. Matthew records how the soldiers mocked Jesus in the governor's palace. They put a purple robe on him, and then they find some thorns, and they mockingly put together a crown for him. And then they put a reed in his right arm, right hand, to look like a king. And then they mock him. They spit at him, they hit him, and they lead him out to be crucified. And on the cross, Jesus, king of the Jews. But Matthew's not there yet in chapter two. He's got some work first to set up that story, and he surely has with the Magi in that story. He surely has in mind Psalm seventy-three: "All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him, for he will." Listen to this. He will. This connects with the first song that our that our, our musicians helped us sing. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. So, This king that's expected will stand with the needy, the afflicted, the weak, the oppressed, the violated, those who have experienced bloodshed. These are the ones who will praise him when he arrives. That means that the old powers, the powers that stand in the way of God's redeeming activity Are being served notice, and Herod will be the first to topple. This child is a true light that enlightens everyone, as John writes, and he reflects the grain of the universe. That's a term from Stanley Hauerwas that he likes to use, that Jesus, his life, and his teachings, and who he is as Logos reflects the grain of the universe. He and his kingdom ways, they will drive history forward. Not Rome, not Rome's vassal kings who resort to power politics and violence. And here, the movement of discipleship begins with these non-Jew magi. And in contrast, the power politics of Herod. The magi are told, take a different route. Do not go back to Herod. They left for their own country on a different road. And then when Herod finds out about this, the text tells us he is furious. And he reacted with fire and fury. We didn't read to the end of chapter 2, but he calls for the slaughter of all male children in the Bethlehem area under the age of two how much innocent blood flowed how much grief was brought on to that population and here a nod to those of you taking grief death and dying jesus was taken by mary and joseph to egypt because the child's life was at risk and jesus and his parents become refugees that's part of the story But these details in Matthew's gospel are good news for those who are oppressed and short on hope as this new year begins. For those whose sorrow and loss is great. Because with the Messiah, the world is about to turn. I want to end with... Something from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. We have a Diedrich Bonhoeffer course going. And something from the leadership course, too. I wouldn't want to forget you. Some of you are taking that Bonhoeffer course. And by this point in the week, this is the halfway point in the intercession, you are particularly alert to the fact that there are still Herods in this world. Some background for you who are not in the course Bonhoeffer was a young theologian and th- through the 1930s. So these were the early years of National Socialism as it was gaining power, in power, and g- gaining strength in Germany. And um, by all accounts, these were exceptionally confusing times for the German churches. Including the evangelical free churches, Mennonite, Baptist, Methodists in Germany did not see this coming. Hitler was clearly the only Western leader that was firmly standing up against anti Christian Bolshevism. No other country was doing that the way Hitler was promising to do that. Not only that, these free evangelical churches, Hitler was saying to them for the first time, you are recognized churches. You may continue to do what you do, to pray, to preach, to send out missionaries, have your Bible study weekends, etc. He recognized them. And then he invited Christians to join his cause, to build up the German people after stifling conditions, that were placed on them after World War I. Now, Bonhoeffer stood out as one of those very few early critics of that regime as part of the Confession Church movement. And then he gathered, and this connects to all of you, he connected recent seminary grads for an alternate kind of seminary experience that was not in the um, under the oversight of the official church. And this, some of you may have read that book by him, Life Together. That's the context. And his own teacher had already, so this is 1935, his own teacher, Karl Barth, had already been ushered out of Germany by the Nazis to the Swiss border. Bart's last words to his graduates to To his students, Bonhoeffer and others, was one word actually repeated three times exegete, exegete, exegete. That's the only way you're going to see through all of this. That same year, Propaganda Minister Goebbels, 1935, makes a major speech. He's going to unmask the reality of communism as an international Jewish conspiracy. Bolshevism and Jews are joined in a satanic battle against human civilization itself to control world politics. And then in the same mirror, we have these Nuremberg racial laws proclaimed, stripping German Jews of legal protection. Can you imagine doing seminary in a time like that? Preparing leaders for such a time... Now, those of you in Clint Mix's leadership course are reading Gary Nelson's book, Leadership for Disorienting Times. It fits the messiness of Bonhoeffer's time. Unpredictable, disorienting dilemmas where the changes in context were almost impossible to predict, with unparalleled ethical dilemmas in which free churches were doing all the right things. They were doing Bible studies, they were doing prayer meetings doing weekend retreats, raising funds for mission, and yet almost all of them were compliant and complicit. The Fuhrer, Hitler, brought new orientation for the nation. He was a spellbinding storyteller able to build a shared vision for a society in which all people, all groups, can participate, including the church. And he mobilized everything for this total totalitarian effort. So, as I wrap up here, if that was the case, and it really was the case, then using Gary Nelson's language, Bonhoeffer was a disorienting figure, leading differently, leading from the bottom up, challenging power and authority structures, discovering the gospel and the powerlessness of Christ and in humility. For me, that's something like the Magi, very wise, crafty in their own way, dealing with political power and authority in exceptionally, exceptionally disorienting times. They follow this star and they know how to deal with Herod. Bonhoeffer, a prophetic leader, fearless, and patient, adaptable, nimble, able to reinvent, even reinvent a seminary, intent on cultivating a people for toxic post-Christian times. And I think our time is not quite as toxic as that, but it is at least mildly toxic for the church in Canada. And we need leaders who know how to navigate that space with spiritual and emotional discipline to keep balance, to ground yourself with spiritual intelligence and soul capacity, all the things that Gary Nelson and Peter Dickens speak of. So as we move into 2018, we will need our scribes and scribes who use scripture well and for God's purposes. And we will need leaders perhaps like Bonhoeffer for times like this. If we had more time this morning, I'd look at Bonhoeffer's reflection on the morning. I I was looking at that the other day, and I adapted that for the new year. Wonderful kind of benediction for the day and for the year moving forward. And I think at this point, that's the kind of um, confidence that we can have when we immerse ourselves with Scripture, and as Bonhoeffer says, together with others. Find others to read Scripture with you. And you have wonderful people in your classes. In my modular class, I have an Ethiopian student now in Canada. He spent two years as a political prisoner in Ethiopia. He didn't know which day would be his last. And then just this week, I think, uh, I read in the news that Someone had spoken to the Ethiopian uh, ruler and political prisons were opened up this week. We still have our Herods today and the church is in this context. My prayer for all of you as you move into the new year is that you continue on this path that God has called you. God has called you here together as we worship together at Tyndale, like the Magi, where most of us are foreigners, most of us are are Gentiles, who have seen the light. And so as Christians around the globe celebrate the Feast of Epiphany on January 6th, at the start of a new year, may our common worship moving forward, too, be a beacon of light and life for those in our community. And, And then... As you go forth, out of this Christmas season, out of this epiphany season, my prayer for you, my prayer for all of us is that we will go tell it on the mountain, right? These songs that that we've been singing these last few weeks. Sing of that beautiful star of Bethlehem shining far through shadows dimmed, giving the life for those who long have gone on, guiding the wise men and women on their way, unto the place where Jesus lay. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. And so with that, I wish you a wonderful new year, God's blessing, as you go to serve the Lord of Lords in the places that God has put you. Amen.